the push to privatize water. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. The U.S. is facing a slow-rolling crisis over access to clean, safe drinking water, but lacks a coordinated response to address the root causes of the problems, many of which are aging infrastructure. That was the view of a draft report released last week by the National Infrastructure Advisory Council, made up of leaders from the public and private sectors that reports to the president. Among recommendations, the council proposes the creation of a Federal Department of Water, a cabinet-level agency, to steward water issues. The report covers a broad range of issues, including shortages, climate change, cybersecurity, and the water workforce, and says infrastructure problems are caused by decades of underinvestment. While the recently passed Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act closed some of the funding gap, They say it's not sufficient. The draft also included a controversial recommendation that water systems around the U.S. be privatized and presumably become investor-owned utilities. However, the council doesn't explain why moving water systems or parts of them out of the public sector would solve any problems. In the U.S., most water systems serving more than 100,000 people are publicly owned, supplying about 90% of consumers. However, research has shown privatization results in higher prices which hurt the poor more. A report from Cornell University found private ownership was the single largest factor associated with higher water bills, even taking drought and aging facilities into account. Last week, Hurricane Edalia moved through northern Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. It was the strongest storm to hit the Big Bend region of Florida in more than a century, made more powerful by warmer waters in its path and damaging thousands of homes and causing several deaths. An analysis by the Washington Post concluded that rising sea levels in the Gulf of Mexico worsened the devastating storm, adding nearly nine inches to the surging waters. The mean sea level along the U.S. coastline has risen as Earth warms, and when a major storm occurs, it's on top of higher seas, leading to a storm surge that can reach farther inland. According to research, the rising ocean may be a result of a combination of natural variability and climate change. Deanne Criswell, the administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, warned that it's running low on money to respond to disasters and said that Congress needs to approve additional funding. Otherwise, FEMA will be out of money in the first half of this month, just as hurricane season is getting underway. The White House asked Congress on Friday to pass $16 billion in disaster funding because of Idalia, wildfires in Hawaii and Louisiana, and flooding in Vermont. If you've lived in Southern California for the past year, you might feel like it's been weather whiplash. One minute, you're in the worst drought conditions in a century, and the next, you're wading across flooded intersections following record rainfall. While many factors like the El Nino and La Nina climate patterns can contribute to these flip-flops from dearth to downpour, According to new research, global warming is making the massive swings more common. Researchers at the University of Texas at Austin 
looked at meteorological and hydrological data in seven hotspots around the globe from 1980 to 2020 and found the sudden shifts increased each year and the land itself was a factor. For example, they say during severe drought in humid regions, water evaporation from soils and plants accelerates, providing a moisture source for heavy rainfall. During drought in arid regions, the hot weather and low pressure sucks in moisture from other areas like the ocean, increasing the chance for a soaking downpour. These so-called land-based feedback loops were identified in seven places around the world where the trend was getting worse, including North America, Europe, and Southern Australia. The discovery could improve the accuracy of climate models and help communities prepare for back-to-back -back droughts and floods that have already caused widespread damage to property, infrastructure, and the environment. And finally, on this Labor Day weekend, perhaps you were enjoying a cool beverage on your deck or at a picnic, and then boom, a fruit fly lands in your Chardonnay. Do you drink it? Given the fact that fruit flies are attracted to rotting food, which is rife with bacteria like E. coli, listeria, and salmonella, any of which could make even healthy people sick, you chuck the drink, figuring better safe than sorry. Well, science says you just wasted a perfectly good glass of wine. Writing in the conversation, Dr. Primrose Freeston from the University of Leicester says, wines, whether red, white, or rosé, are naturally antibacterial, and one reason they can be stored so long. But even if the germs did survive in a Sauvignon Blanc, they'd still have to deal with the hostile and highly acidic environment of the human gut, with its digestive enzymes and entrapping mucus, which would likely neutralize the bacteria. So unless the thought of a bug doing the backstroke in your wine gives you the heebie-jeebies, you can simply remove it and enjoy your drink. Or better still, swallow the fly and have some extra protein. Cheers, and thanks for listening to This Week in Water. We'll see you next time.